Upstream with Jim and John, father and son conversations about discipleship and culture in the Pacific Northwest. I'm John. And I'm Jim. And today we're going to talk about why is there so much anxiety in the world, particularly among two generational groups, the millennials and the Gen Zs. Mm -hmm. The stats are off the charts. We're going to talk about the reality of that, like how real is the problem. We're going to have some research that we'll share with you about where we think it might come from. And then we're going to talk about some recommendations about how to move forward because this is ruining people's lives. Yeah. And we don't like the way the places this can take people. And as we project out what this anxiety can do to families and individuals and marriages and all kinds of problems. So we just really uh, want to believe for a better life and we want to talk about it for sure. So, yeah, I I think it's going to be a great episode. And uh, before that, it's uh, story time, John, or joke time. I'm assuming you have a story for us today. I do. I forgot that I was going to uh, look up some some jokes to, to tell. And I guess not this time. It'll be later. But uh, this is a story from my, I believe, middle school. It's hard to tell. I went to a charter school from fourth to eighth grade. Yes. And so American Academy, American Academy in Colorado. I forget what town. It was actually in Castle Pines, Colorado. That was the one they built their own facility, right? they built right? their own campus, yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, so it's hard for me to sometimes to gauge when certain things happen, but um, I had a great time. Anyway, this day, this particular day, we took a field trip to a miniature space camp. Bethany was the first graduating class of American Academy and I was the first, first fourth grade class of American Academy. And so we oh, both. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah, we were there right on the ground floor of this thing. So, yeah, so they did a lot of things for her class that they didn't do for other classes because they were the first, you know, they were the kind of the paving the way. So she went to a full space camp, I think, for like a week. Birmingham, Alabama, I believe. Yeah. Somewhere in Alabama. And yeah. so we didn't do that, but they did take us to like a training facility kind of thing. They had big gyro machines and, and cool stuff. And we didn't get to do that because I think we were too young but what we did do was they had a mission control um simulated you know mission basically and uh we'd been learning about space for however long in our science class and so we'd go there we'd each get assigned a role and then we would well you you'd select which role you wanted of like your top five or something like that and they'd assign them to you and then you would like a role at nasa yeah for for a for a mission so this one was there's an asteroid or yeah, an asteroid you had to blow up, kind of like Armageddon. Oh, nice. I think. I, I can't quite remember. But um, so basically, I had signed up for like the engineering thing, kind of side of things. And so then they divvy you up for your uh, mission control and the astronaut team. And I got assigned mission control. And I was bummed. I was like, You were bummed? Yeah, because I want to be on the spaceship. I want to go uh, into space. Yeah, yeah. Those guys get to put on suits, oh, and they're yeah. in a fake spaceship that they rumbles around. Have, they might not have had a suit your size. They did, though. I'll get into it. Okay. So, I basically, how it works for my particular job, they have, it was cool, man. This mission control room is like you see in the movies, like big with your cameras. Yeah. Everyone's in their, in their assigned seat, and I was working with the engineering guy on the spacecraft. Wow. And so he, there's a camera over his head. I have all the instructions, and I have to, to communicate to him what to do to put down this, this to put this this uh, probe together. 
And so then the, we're going to shoot this probe out, quote unquote, and it's going to land on the asteroid and blow it up. And, That's pretty sweet. Yeah. And so uh, I'm, I was still kind of bummed, but I, <laughs> I was partners with this funny, funny little guy. I think his name was Will. And uh, all I remember about him is he had like platinum blonde hair naturally. And he was small of stature and he would not stop talking. He was this this very, very funny um, a hard to dislike <laughs> kid. Um, and he was the engineer you're dealing with on the plane, yeah, on the shuttle. Yeah. And well, the great thing about American Academy was, you know, my eighth grade graduating class was like 30 kids. So, and most of them I had known since I got there in fourth grade. So everyone was my friend. It's not like I didn't know where, right, but right. he wasn't like, I had like a three amigos kind of thing going sure. on. He wasn't in there, but he was a buddy. So anyway, uh, I'm telling him the instructions and we're doing pretty good. And then they, I can't even remember for the life of me how they justify this, but they said basically the shuttle had to come down and you had to switch places. So that way each person gets to live. Oh, so you got to get on there. So I, got, I got to go into space on the, put on the suit, put on the suit. They did have one big enough, but it was, you know, went up to like my elbows basically. Yeah. <laughs> and so then I'm on the spacecraft. And so then he's looking through the camera, telling me, reading me the instructions and we, we do it. And then everyone comes into a big room and you watch a big display of the probe going out. And if everyone did their jobs right, this thing's going to hit the asteroid and it's going to blow it up and save. And if the they Earth. didn't, then it won't. I don't know. I wonder if they really would let it yeah. blow the Earth up and, t- and tell all these kids that they did a bad job. <laughs> <laughs> but this might feed into the anxiety conversation. It might. Uh, but so then it shows the little this little arcing path of the probe on like this big screen. Yeah. And it disappears. And the guy looks at me and Will, and he goes, what did you guys do? And then it reappears. <laughs> and he goes, oh, and then it hits the asteroid and blows up. <laughs> he knew that was going to happen. He was right, like, right. He's just messing fun. with you. Yeah. yeah. And so me and Will are high five, and everyone's like cheering. Like we yeah. were actually in, you know, yeah. like in one of those space movies. Oh, yeah. It was awesome. It was a really, really Nobody fun had movie. to stay back and die on the asteroid? <laughs> no, no one was the Bruce Willis this time. <laughs> Thank goodness. But it was a blast. We did a lot of cool stuff like that. That sounds pretty awesome. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll try and remind me one day to talk about Young Ameritown was another one. Oh. That was a really fun I remember field that trip. One. Yeah. I actually got to fly a 737 uh, flight simulator. Oh. I would name the airline, but I might get the guy in trouble who helped me do it. <laughs> and uh, and it was amazing. I landed it. I landed the 737 on the strip in Vegas. Oh, nice. And then I took off again, and then I went under the Golden Gate Bridge. Wow. It was pretty fun. Was it as slow and bulky as it looks? Well, seven thirty seven is pretty. That's what you fly all the time. You know, that's mm-hmm. why Alaska uses all their planes. Yeah, so it was pretty cool, man. That's awesome. Did barrel rolls. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty awesome. That's awesome. All right, let's talk about anxiety, John. So um, I don't, it's not a surprise. This isn't news to anybody. It's like when people say these are unprecedented times. Oh well, yeah, I'm kind of sick of that phrase. But that and the word. I don't know if I've, if I've ever told you about this, but the word. Um, immensely. Wow. I hate it. I really? see it all the time. To me, it's a person going, well, I'm going to look smart. I'll throw immensely in there. And specifically, the, the one, two, immensely satisfying. People use those those two together all the Interesting. time. Interesting. And it really gets under my skin for some well, reason. Well, I can tell you that I would never use the word immensely in a written document because I don't know how to spell it. And I won't use words <laughs> I don't know how to spell. I use them all the time because Google Documents. Talk about generational differences. I probably don't know how to spell half the stuff you do because <laughs> of just, just the, the word processors. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, anxiety is a real problem. Uh-huh. We don't need to convince anybody of that. But I wanted to 
share some of the research we found on exactly how real the problem is. Yeah. And um, I do believe COVID has been an accelerator. Um, whatever your current state, it accelerated it. And so I think it had a uh, an exponential impact on anxiety levels. For sure. We saw a rash of increased suicides and lots of anxiety issues. But let's let's take a look at, John, just some statistical realities, a couple of highlights that help us get a, get our arms around how real this problem is. Yeah, so one of the things that's um, unique to this generation, so this was specifically about millennials and Gen Z, and those two, even millennials, but those two especially, uh, are far and away the most educated generations. And oh. so uh, this is a study from the University of Alberta but it references a lot. Uh, some of these numbers are from a Harvard Business Review um, survey. Okay. So it's it's volunteer volunteered information. Um, but uh, most of it, a lot of it, has to do with uh, um, higher education. Just and which I think is for this generation. What I meant is that you can use it for a lot of this generation because so many of us have higher education. Higher education, even if uh, you don't have a degree. I think. It, the numbers are, are crazy. How many people have been to college for? And well, with the Running credits. Start program, you've got yeah. lots of free college credits for people that normally might not have had them. Yeah. So uh, um, in this survey, uh, half of millennials. So it, it, a lot about the workplace too. Half of millennials, which is between they define as between twenty four and thirty nine. That those numbers change a bit. A lot of people would say that I'm I'm twenty five. A lot of people would say that I would be a Gen Z. It's kind of yeah, so that's ubiquitous. You're on a but, bubble. Um, half of millennials said they had left a job at least partially for mental health reasons. Half. Half. And for Gen Z, those numbers uh, spike to 75% say they've left a job at least partially for mental health reasons. That's amazing to me. It says Gen Z is between 18 and 23. And for the general population who answered the survey, that number is only 20%. Okay, so... Uh, 20% of the population would leave a job partially for mental health Has. reasons. They have done it. They have life. done it. And uh, for Gen Z, it's 75%. For millennials, 50%. Mm-hmm. It's pretty amazing. So right, keep going. Uh, so then it goes on. Uh, and again, this is from the University of Alberta. Uh, they report that for uh, their student body, 35% of them will experience a panic attack due to stress at some point. Uh, and those are increasing, those those rates. And uh, they cite a statistic from the Canadian National College Health Assessment uh, from 2016 that says 65% of post-secondary students reported experiencing overwhelming anxiety, quote-unquote, in the previous year, and 13% had considered suicide. Wow. So that is, like we said, that a lot of that has to do with higher education, but especially the, um, the first ones about leaving a job because of stress, I think, and how that breaks down by generation with Gen Z right. and millennial and the right. general population. It's kind of hard to hard to deny. Yeah, and I think part of the interesting question I, uh, when I talk to millennials, Gen Zs, about their anxiety, a part of the confusion is, um, what am I supposed to do with it? Hmm. Am I supposed to allow it to alter my work life or my life? You know, can I? Is it okay to call in and say I just can't do it today? I can't function. Yeah. Or am I supposed to tough it out and somehow fake it? Yeah. Um, and there's a pressure there, but let's talk about, uh, where this anxiety seems to come from. And there's a lot of interesting theories about this because millennials and Gen Z's, the source of their anxiety is different. Sure. Well, especially, I mean, you know, I don't think in, in pop culture, 
you don't see people referencing almost 40 year olds now as millennials. Right. And that, that is the case. Yeah. So it's, it's uh, easy to forget that these are very, very much adults now. Yes, and flooding the workforce. You know, it's yeah. a dominant part of the workforce. Well, it's, it's uh, what is it? I mean, Gen X is a small generation, but this is this is as big as the boomer generation, isn't it? Right, or, or something like that. But the 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 bigger point for me is their stress or their anxiety. And I did a little homework on a guy I really like, Henry Cloud, and and there's there are some differences between stress and anxiety, mm-hmm. and um, so. Uh, this anxiety for millennials partially comes from that they are they they followed the path they were told to follow get your college degree um, figure out your career path get a house get a house you know it's your turn Mm -hmm. and what they found is getting a house is way harder than it's ever been i have this degree but my career path is totally unclear and maybe i've got tons of debt to go with that or i got a degree i'm not even using i hear that a ton yeah for sure i studied x but i don't even do that with my career so did i waste my money on the education and then the economic crash of 2008 had a significant impact on that group would you say that's yeah is that summarizing what we found yeah and a lot of it um you hear again in survey type data you hear the younger younger generations uh excuse me um like older gen z's like myself, who were very cognizant at, at the 2008, you know, I was 13. Um, they would say that shaped your understanding of the world. That shaped how you think the world works. But for millennials, they were actually entering and living in the workforce at that time. Yeah. So them, it shaped maybe more palpably. Like well, it's interesting. People who had to take in this in the same survey it yeah. references millennials who had to take jobs that didn't really have any vertical potential just because they had you know they had to live yeah and that kind of um stunts their careers and that was when the housing dream really collapsed oh yeah i think it's interesting because one time you and i were talking about uh optimism pessimism about the economic future or something i don't remember exactly what we were talking about and i was like why do you feel that way and you said 2008 man (laughs) and I, i i was blown away that because i would have had to look up when did that happen yeah like 2008 was real um but it didn't it didn't rattle my world the way it rattled these generations yeah so uh but you knew it you were 13 when it happened but you had a focused attachment to the impact of 2008 on your world well and that's the thing so uh you could say that this could be an example of kind of um, learning about a time where you were alive and that actually informing your memory. Yeah. I don't have a memory of, right. Like oh, I remember, I'm 13 and Oh no. What, what's exactly, going to happen next? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what well, is sitting in front of the TV with yeah. the new, morning news on or something. <laughs> um, but you know, I have an understanding of the world that is, um, I can't trust the infrastructure. I can't trust yes. the systems. And then, so generational uh, scientists and people, and um, they have a, I'm sure they have a fancier name than this, but people who study generations would say that that is common to my generation, and that is because of the 2008 uh, re- recession. So that's when I said that was in was in reference to the data, not necessarily because that's when I had a like a big moment. Yeah, I think you're always, you know, especially early teenager, you're always learning about how the world works and just kind of looking around. So I I assume I just kind of What's the word I'm looking for? Like osmosis. It just kind of, sure. You just observe. Yeah. 
Now, what's interesting, you mentioned, you know, uh, a lack of trust in the American dream, a lack of trust in companies and organizations, a lack of trust in government began to grow. Uh, basically, we've got nothing we can count on. You guys have been lying to us. This thing you promised us is not there. And uh, we've been dealt a bill of goods. Well, and to speak personally, you know, I I would hope it's not in question that I how much I love my country and how much freedom we have here compared to a lot of other countries. Oh, sure. It's not about that. Well, well and just to say that I think the whole world is kind of in flux right now. It feels it feels more like chaos than it seems like the last generations have seen the world or, yeah. or experienced the yeah. world. That's my own personal take on it is that it's not necessarily an American issue because I still feel like we have so much mobility. Yeah. It's just harder. It's harder everywhere. Yeah. So some of this, we're going to say, we read this. This is what researchers are saying. And some of this is our own pontification. So here's my first pontification. Sure. You take a generation and you sabotage, you take away all the st- structures that other generations could trust, education, government, uh, economy, mm-hmm. you know, blah, blah, blah. You take away those things they can trust, and then you give them a moral code or a uh, uh, you take away the guardrails of what society is supposed to look like. And now, what can they count on? Like, there's no fixed items in the universe. Yeah, everything's spinning and everything's fluid, and nothing is uh, solid. Well, and to pontificate of you know myself <laughs> is that is the root word for that pontiff like a like a pope like kind uh, of that's figure a interesting question i don't know anyway um i wonder if those two go hand in hand you see that the infrastructure is bogus and you go well what else is bogus yeah so why should i count on these this code i've been handed exactly when the organization that handed me that code isn't delivering exactly if if the you know if the uh national banker or whatever can't can't save me then why could the why can scripture why can my parents religion yeah you know i wonder i wonder how much of that is tied together that's true now uh another thing that was interesting is that millennials are the first generation in american history that will not outperform their parents financially or aren't expected to and this is again in the studies uh the the quote was basically every generation for the past 50 years was the figure they use uh, the expectation has been, and you're, and you guys will do even better than us. Right. That's been the, the on and on and on. And this is the first generation in the 50 years where it is not expected that these generations will do better than the one before them. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of thinking the jury's out on the Gen Z's because the creativity mm-hmm. levels are so high that they will be self-made, but they will find ways because yeah, they're so creative and so um, entrepreneurial. Sure. And just to show our work on this one, because we, we did want to go a little more into data. Th- these are quotes from uh, Lisa Strohshine. I don't know how you'd say that. S-T-R-O-H-S-C-I-H-E-I-N mm-hmm. uh, at the University of Alberta. So this is their their study paper, quoting their sociologist. Uh, but she's the one who says this is the first generation in 50 years where those expectations are lower. Interesting. All right. So uh, with Gen Z's, John, what mm-hmm. what seemed to be it seemed like there were two chains of thought about where Gen Z anxiety comes from, and they both had to do with parents. Uh, yeah, so the first one is um, popular. Uh, it's kind of the it's a little heavy handed. It's the the um, you know the quote unquote snowflake thing. The the sensitive kids um, because they've been and this is again Lisa. Um, I should say she's probably a doctor. Doctor. I'll call her Lisa because I don't want to say that last name. I hope it's not disrespectful. Dr. Lisa. Dr. Lisa. She says uh, 
that this is because this thesis is that the today's youth has been coddled by helicopter parents and allowed to avoid the responsibility and independence that foster mental resilience. Now, this is the typical uh, people looking down their nose. The participation just, trophy thing. Yes. The, yeah. uh, you know, you didn't have to win. You didn't have to compete. Uh-huh. Um, and your parents, like, uh, if you got if you underperformed at school, they would go lecture the teacher on why they should change your grade. <laughs> sure. So there was, you know, there's that kind of parent. But then the, on the flip side, there's the other kind of parent that um, would get their uh, kindergartner into the most prestigious kindergarten because we have to get them ready so they get scholarships when they go to college. And then and, after school, they're in three different programs. Yes, and, and they're yeah. taking a foreign language. And then when they're playing sports, they've got a conditioning coach and a strength coach. And, you know, yeah. and they're just uh, really – what they think they're doing is equipping them for success. But what it was translated as is pressure to perform. Yeah. And um, so I would summarize this is now here's my pontificating. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, I would summarize it this way. Parents took the throne of leadership in their home and they took themselves off of it and they set their kids on it. Mm hmm. And that was where all the, how the priorities kind of went. That's why the priorities went wrong. And why did we do that? Because of the reaction to the parenting we got. So, uh, it, you know, we tend to go to these overreactions. And, um, you know, we, we put our kids on the throne and said, what do we need to do to make your life complete? Sure. And um, so things like, uh, and this is another thing the research talked about, was things like having a terrible failure or a confrontation at work is now the end of their life. Instead of being able to go home at the end of the day and say, man, that was a hard day, but I'm going to regroup. I'm going to learn what I can from that, and I'm going to go back tomorrow, and I'm going to kick some butt. Yeah, and this, so this is a quote from from Dr. Lisa. Again, no disrespect. Uh, she says that um, the quote from her, what I see in my friend's children is that their parents have always been there to help them through problems. When they have to confront problems themselves, they don't have the basic skills to draw upon and they start to panic. Um, and then here, the past few decades have also seen the rise of the self-esteem movement in education where students are awarded for effort and participation with less regard for performance. For older generations, said Flower, who's a different, we're on to another a sociologist, it was uh, very clear there were winners and losers. Now we don't allow as much for competition. We don't allow for failure, which is one of the greatest assets you can learn. It teaches you to pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and not make the same mistake twice. Yeah. So um, we want to add one more factor, which is biology. That, mm, sure. that um, there is a factor of basic temperament. Um, some people are wound up a little tighter. Some are really laid back. And we're on the scale. All of us are on that scale. And so some some people, because of their biological makeup and their basic disposition, are more prone to higher anxiety levels. Yeah. And then you have also just the biology of your uh, hormones, sugar levels. You know, there's all kinds of physical factors that could contribute. So we want to also uh, throw in that that's possible. So when we get to some, um, some tips we have learned and gathered on how to move forward, if you're battling anxiety, we'll get into some of those biological issues as well. But just want to remind, you know, just point out that uh, not all anxiety comes from biological chemistry, but some does. And yeah. 
And so it's worth uh, part of the investigation. Yeah. One last thing I want to say, too, is uh, you have um, family structures have been sabotaged for a long time. Um, one simple stat. I don't need to make my case any more than one stat. If you go to prison populations, 98% of the prison population come from fatherless homes. Dang. So uh, there's a huge issue with family structures. If you change dads, now this shows my bias, but you, if you change dads, you change the world. If you change if, what, the health of a home and the health of a marriage, you can change the world. So you, you take these uh, issues we've already discussed, and then you add the complexity of a broken home or a not, not functioning well home, mm-hmm. and you make this even worse. So um, there's, there's uh, my, my point of bringing that up is that there can be what amounts to a PTSD situation. And by that, um, the best explanation, this helped me a ton to understand because I've not had um, until, frankly, in the last 12 months of my life, I've never had a traumatic, uh, what I would say I, I could have PTSD from. Like a panic attack kind of thing? or Yeah. And, um, you know, when you, if let's say you're going to cross the street and you step off the curb because it looks clear and all of a sudden a car whips around that corner and almost hits you mm-hmm. and you jump back and your heart's racing that people who have PTSD, who've gone through trauma, that's what they're, that's what they feel like all the time. Sure. So when you have that kind of scenario, the anxiety is just, you're already two clicks away from an anxiety from attack. back to where you were. However many months ago, even. right? So that's another factor uh, is um, traumatic events in a person's life. Uh, really make the anxiety issue um, much more likely and possibly more intense. Well, and one, my big thing for this is my hunch always goes to technology for this conversation. And the University of Alberta study did not really mention it. It was mostly about generational kind of parenting and sociology um, ideas, which again, there's nothing, all of that holds water, I think. But um, the technology to me looks like the main culprit when, cause when you look at, um, uh, causation or correlation, I'll, I'll call it like it is correlation between screen time and anxiety disorders. Oh, it's, it's, it's one to one. Yeah. So, um, I think that that's not nothing. I think if you put the golden generation in these shoes where they grow up with a smartphone in their hand, I think you still see these problems. Um, yeah, that's genius. Thanks for pointing that out because sure. I had not thought of that. And I, I think that is spot on. And research has shown that out. Yeah. That screen time is a huge contributor. Um, so I want to uh, think about one last thing and then we'll start getting to solutions. Well, we'll do our, our break after that. Okay. Or after this, I guess. Yeah. So when you when you try to assess where is my anxiety coming from or what is triggering my anxiety. Sure. Um and, and some people have just a nebulous anxiety. It's just always there. It never goes away. Yeah, and kind of hard to pinpoint what they're actually anxious yeah, about. Yeah, what is that? What is that? Um, so we, we did an episode once before on the, f- the four kind of pillar frameworks for mental health. Yeah, I and, like that one. That was and, a good conversation. Uh, it's, been, it's been a life changer for me. And um, that the first, you know, the first skill is connection. You come out of the womb looking for connection. We need human connection. And, and so correspondingly, a, a part of our anxiety is the thought that what's happening right now is going to result in 
disconnection for sure. Um, I'm not, I'm going to lose a relationship. I'm going to look stupid in this relationship. And that could lead to losing yes, those, I'm, connection. S- somehow connection is about to be lost. And Henry Cloud calls this uh, the root of almost all anxiety and fear in human beings. Yes, is, is it is the need. core fear. Yeah. It is our core fear that we will be alone. Yeah. Um, so that's a huge thing to even just think about and have mindfulness in the middle of your anxiety. Am I anxious that I'm about to lose connection or that connection is at risk? Yeah course the other flip side of that the second skill for emotional health is the ability to disconnect to not Mm -hmm. have dysfunctional connection and i think that could be another anxiety creator because a toxic person has worked their way into your life and they're gaslighting you they are convincing you that you are the problem and you have this over connection and you need to resolve your anxiety you need to actually disconnect sure Uh, the third skill is um reconciling my pain and knowing what to do with my pain. And that survey, that researcher who said, you know, um, I don't know how to handle failure and I can't handle a confrontation or a correction. That is, I don't know what to do with my pain. Yeah. And so that's a third thing that's an anxiety reducer is to learn to um, resolve and deal with the pain you're going through to reconcile it, to find the good that's in it, because all pain has good in it. And then the fourth skill is uh, effectively adulting, Um, Mm. to be able to function in an adult world without intimidation and without feeling like you're superior to others or inferior to them. It's this kind of, uh, I have the ability to be an adult in a world of adults. So my performance, that's where that would go is anxiety comes from my fear of not performing sure or that my performance is not up to capacity i don't have i don't have the performance skill i need yeah and so i think those are a really helpful uh starting point for assessing why am i so anxious is to walk which those of those four, four, zones. four pillars are you is is really is going on right now yeah yeah all right let's uh let's do our uh you want to do our show and tell or the commercial first uh, show and tell always goes first for the okay. Commercial. So I didn't remember for you. It's a it's a book review book report. Yes, and, and I, it's your turn. I'm going to recommend. Now I'm going to confess that in episode 100 last week, mm-hmm. I told a story that had a joke in it, and we had a listener quickly point out you've told that joke before. <laughs> so um, and that means that I felt so smart for knowing that punchline or coming thinking I had solved right, that punchline. Right. I had probably heard it. You've before. heard it before. Yeah. So that may be true about this book report because this book, this book is the, is maybe it's one of the top five books I've ever read in my life outside of the Bible. The Bible? I was going to say. Outside of the Bible. (laughs) Um, And it's called Failure of Nerve. Have I talked about Failure of Nerve before? I don't think so. At least not in this segment. Maybe, maybe in conversation. It's called Failure of Nerve and it's by uh, Friedman is his name. He's dead now. Um, this guy genius and failure of nerve is one of the most amazing books. Now I had to read it a handful of pages at a time and set it down. It's very, very, um, man, it's weighty. It's thick. Sure. And there were times I needed a dictionary next to me. Mm. Um, but it is so stinking good. And one of the basic ideas of the book is that the world is suffering from a lack of leadership. And the reason it's suffering from a lack of leadership is because the world punishes leaders. Hmm. 
And uh, if you lead, if you if you exert independence, if you are, um, if you if you lead, you are labeled as selfish, and um, you're framed in a negative way. And so, consequently, people have lost their nerve to lead. Sure. And so the world suffers from an absence, a vacuumed absence of effective leadership. Anyway, uh, this guy is brilliant. I just can't recommend the book highly enough. Phenomenal read. Well, awesome. All right. Well, we will hop into our uh, commercial real quick and finish the conversation in just a few minutes. Upstream is supported by the faithful members of the Upstream team, listeners who give monthly through Patreon. This podcast is just one part of the Jim and John ministry. They also write weekly blogs, have published their first book, and are currently at work on more. Their desire is to produce transformational content, as well as offer encouragement and coaching to others. The dream is to see a movement of people who are integrating the work of Jesus into their daily lives and who are joining him on his mission to redeem and restore all things. Check out their website at jimandjohn.com where you can learn more about the father-son duo and gain access to all they have to offer. If you would like to join the Upstream team, consider partnering with Jim and John on patreon.com slash jimandjohn. A link is also available on the homepage of their website. And remember, there's no H in John. Now let's join Jim and John for the home stretch of today's conversation. All right. Welcome back. Thank you, as always, for listening. Uh, in a couple weeks, it'll be 104, which means it'll be two years of, of episodes. Yeah, which will be, I don't know if we'll do anything crazy or not. Maybe we'll just uh, have some kind of fireside uh, late night <laughs> reminiscent episode or something. I don't know. We need to do something special. We'll do something. If you have a tip for us on what to do for the two-year anniversary, we'd love to hear it. Yeah, and we have got uh, more feedback than uh, is standard for the past little bit. The past couple weeks, we're always grateful for it. We love to hear it. Yeah. And we get back to, to everybody. So um, so back to the conversation. You uh, recently told me about a quote from Dallas Willard, and this is, again, for as the kind of We've, we've said why it's a problem. This part of the conversation is, what can I do about it? Yeah, let's give some help. How yeah. can we How can we maybe calm our anxiety a little bit? What can we do in the throes of anxiety? Yeah. And so uh, we want to just offer some help we've found. And so you've said, uh, um, a quote from Dallas Willard is that if we could, or maybe, I forget his wording, but basically a core um, practice in becoming more like Jesus is the elimination of hurry from our lives. Is that, did, I, did I word that right? Yeah, he would say ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Yeah. Ruthlessly. What exactly, for one, like we talked about in our brother Lawrence conversation, is that even truly possible in a way that you could still succeed in today's work environment? And two, how would you do that? Yeah, I think it is possible. It has to be possible or else we're all going to die. Uh, and <laughs> no, no and biggie. what I have found is when I'm mindful and I slow my mind down, and I slow my heart rate down, stop staring at my watch, put my phone away, I actually make way better use of my time. Hmm. So I'm actually more productive. Sure. Uh, but the ruthless elimination of hurry is kind of the idea of doing life at God's speed. In the day of Jesus, you know, you can only walk so many miles a day. And so sure. live your life at this pace. Uh, RPMs is a significant deal. You know, the viscosity of oil in an engine. If you keep the RPM, these dragsters, you know, they, they are blowing an engine. They have to rebuild the engine after every single race. 
so the engine is good the engine is good for a quarter mile and then they have to rebuild it because it's running at such an intense level you can't do that Mm -hmm. it's like city slickers the man ate bacon at every meal you can't do that (laughs) (laughs) so uh slowing down is a powerful thing uh henry cloud talks about learning how to breathe that we forget how to breathe some of us stop breathing in the middle of our anxiety so just learning how to breathe, to be mindful of your breathing and slow it down, uh, to practice meditation and reflective prayer, to uh, take a portion of Scripture and imagine the scene of that Scripture. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. You know, to to slow down, reduce the RPMs, and be aware of your breathing. Sure. I think those are those are pretty pretty significant things. And the pace of your life, you know, the ruthlessly, I like the phrase ruthlessly eliminate hurry. Yeah. Um, I'm in a hurry so much of the time. And when I practice this, it's amazing how much more calm I feel. Part of it, you have to be willing to say, if I'm late, I'm late. (laughs) I was going to say, it seems like you either have to do that or you have to release responsibilities, you know? Yeah. You probably have to create room. You can't, you can't. Um, you can't schedule every minute of your day and eliminate hurry at the same time. Yeah. Unless you're scheduling blocks of rest. Sure. Which is a good idea. Yeah. It's like budging, budging for savings. Exactly. Budging your time. Margin. For, you know, we have yeah. margin on the edges of the page. You have margin. You don't write in the margin. If you, and if you're writing in the margin, now you have your, you have no uh, margin for error, no room. Yeah. The same is true of money. You got to you got to keep financial margin and your time. If every minute's accounted for. This is this is a classic of a college kid. Um you know, you've had this paper assignment for 4 weeks and then the day the papers due, there's an excuse, I couldn't do it because last night my printer broke or my computer crashed. Well, you've had 4 weeks to do it. Why is last night the crisis? Yeah. And I have found when I procrastinate, all it takes is one crisis. Now I'm in deep trouble Yeah, because I left no margin. For sure. Four weeks is generous, man. They give you, sometimes they give you all semester for those papers. And, and I would still do before. <laughs> well, you know my saying, if, if you wait to the last minute. It only takes a minute. It only takes a minute. So that's, you don't take that to the bank. No, do not, please. Uh, okay. Uh, connection to God. I think, you know, we would we would agree, uh, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Mm-hmm. Um, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of sound mind. Uh, to keep a connection to the eternal God. If you can learn how to connect to God, to practice that connection, to... Um, I've been captivated by step 11 after episode 100. Um, step 11 is is we've we've sought through prayer and meditation to have a constant connection to God. A constant conscious connection, right? Yes, a conscious connection to God. To feed that conscious connection to God is a huge thing. I do this uh, sometimes when I'm having this RPM issue or anxiety. I just, I say, Lord, you're here. And you've been here, but I've been oblivious to that. Mm. But I'm paying attention now. You're here. And now I'm here with you. And I just calm my thinking down and I calibrate that. You know, Lord, hey, you're here with me. What should we do? Sure. 
and uh, help me move at your pace. I think that's a big, big deal. One other thing I would say, and then a couple of really fast tips. Ephesians chapter 6 says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers um, and and authorities of darkness. Mm-hmm. If you don't believe that you live in a world at war, then you're like a family that's having a picnic at the beach at Normandy on D-Day, <laughs> and you're about to get obliterated. Mm-hmm. That is a reality of this world. There is war. And it's no, uh, it's not mystical. It's not bizarre to think that evil is trying to leverage the anxiety you already feel to intensify that and to cripple you with it. Sure. So being mindful of evil and of God and then allowing the Holy Spirit to to reveal to you any ways that you have aligned yourself with evil by rebelling against God. Yeah. Have I have I adopted evil thinking about unforgiveness towards someone who hurt me? Have I adopted evil thinking about getting revenge? Have I adopted evil thinking about my own identity, that I am my sin, I am my past, rather than I am who God says I am? For sure. So these things are huge. Uh, Dallas, I mean, uh, Henry Cloud would say, anxiety is created because we're interpreting the story, we're interpreting the circumstance in front of us a certain way. Yeah. And if you can reinterpret it to a healthier way, because you're not interpreting it accurately, you're interpreting it anxiously. Yeah, and I think there's kind of like an air of um, optimism as foolishness or pessimism as the truth. Yes. Nowadays, it's kind of like, um, well, if that's the worst explanation, it's probably the correct one. Right. Like, so if you if you if you aim to <laughs> have a better mindset, you're actually just being foolish. It's kind of yeah, you're 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 deceiving yourself so you feel better. Right. Which that's not not always the case. Right. I think that's true, John. That's good. Okay, uh, about your body. Um, paying attention to your body. Um, first of all, uh, some Christians have an issue with medicines, and they don't think they should take medicine. And it's it's a it's a certainty that if there are biological issues going on, there are some medications that are helpful. Yeah, um, we would encourage you to be extremely cautious with tranquilizer kinds of medicines that just shut you down. They require increased levels to be effective as you use them, and they're addictive. So never do that without a medical doctor. But don't be uh, too proud to have a doctor talk to you about medicines. Also, get your body checked out. Uh, what it, what are your um, what are your sugar levels? What's your thyroid doing? What are your hormones? Get some blood work done, and just get mm-hmm. a basic physical and see if there's anything going on with your body. Last thing I would say, talk to people who are calm and who hmm. are, who can give you the gift of listening to you. Sure. Uh, those are not easy to find because we are, <laughs> sure. we are really bad listeners and not many of us are calm. Mm-hmm. There was uh, some, I, I, I love psychology. I love the counseling world. There's an interesting reality. People who sat on a front porch and talked to grandma about their problems have a, a, 
a very similar recovery rate of people who see professional clinical therapists. Is this real? This is science? It is. Because that's what the that's what the real counselor is going to do for you. He's mm-hmm. going to give you a safe place to talk and to process and to understand what's going on. Grandmas are a gift from God. <laughs> for sure. And it doesn't have to be a grandma, but, man, a calm person who's anchored in Christ, who's a great listener. That's a gift. Yeah. And if you can find that person, I think that would be a, a huge help. That's awesome. John, tell me this. Let's wrap it up with this. Where does your anxiety come from? Do you have any idea? Like how how prevalent is anxiety as an issue for you? And where does it typically come from? Um, It's not that common. I can say, like you, I had, I had never had like a... a a panic incident, like a, like a panic attack. Mm -hmm. Uh, but once, and it was, uh, as part of going, being in college, uh, this one assignment and it was public speaking. It was, I'll save that for a story time. It was was a (laughs) fiasco and it was self. Um, I did it to myself, you know, waiting, Mm -hmm. waiting too late for a, a project. Um, so a lot of them are kind of incidental in the moment. I can, I can point to what, I'm stressed about, you know, I would like, like our difference between stress and anxiety. Yeah. They're stresses. And in general, I would not say I'm an anxious person in a, in a general sense. Um, I've been described as a worrier for my entire life, but it's always, there's a sense of detachment with it. It's almost like a curiosity. Mm. Like, well, what if, what if, you know, what yeah. if this happens? Yeah. <laughs> so it's, I don't know. Uh, I think when I'll, I'll tie this into my, to my takeaway as well. Um, when we were going over again, those, uh, Henry clouds for, um, elements of mental health, Mm -hmm. I think the big one, uh, is especially in this conversation for me is the boundaries one. Mm. And I think like talking about the technology thing and how, you know, you, you're hearing of all of these things at all times and you have this pressure that you feel all the time to succeed and, I think this boundary thing is not only creating boundaries, but recognizing already existing boundaries at the edge of your will, at the edge of your influence, and at the edge of your responsibility. So you would say this would look like recognizing um, that news headline is so far beyond my responsibility and ability to change it. Right. And and accepting that. So you had said, um, you know, that part of that boundary conversation is or, or accepting that you don't have control is finding ways to take control. Yes. Uh, and that part I don't, I, I know less about than I do about recognizing my lack of control. That mm-hmm. part I'm maybe too comfortable with, <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I would say for me is because um, that's where a lot of my stress comes from is just, just suffocating in pressure the, that the terrible, bad news of the world and where it really isn't. Um, it's not that it's not bad. It's not that it's not actually happening, but it's not. Um, I don't know. There, there's a lot of distance between that and you most of the time. You know, what's interesting. You made me remember some uh, uh, something I read not too long ago that, you know, prior to the information age, mm-hmm. you uh, and and from that point all the way back to the beginning of time you would have to handle the terrible news, the chaos and the catastrophes in your village. Right. (laughs) And so it had a volume of that because news didn't travel and 
You didn't know anybody past that, you know, geographical limit. Right. And so you were wired to deal with the bad news and the terror and the, you know, the issues of a small group, a small space. Sure. But now you're having given to you in lightning speed the atrocities of the world Mm -hmm. all the time. And you're not wired to handle that. I think that's a significant point. I think it is, yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's, like we said, this huge technology problem with mental health. I think that's largely what it is. Mm -hmm. And in youth, a lot of the science would say that it's also... um, the pressure of, of constant comparison mm-hmm. and, and it's quantifiable comparison, mm-hmm. you know, how many likes you got compared to how, how many your friends got. And it's especially true of younger uh, women, um, adolescent women. It's yeah. probably not the same as uh, for, for young boys. But. Yeah. My takeaways are two. Um, my personal um, anxiety uh, anecdote is to take control because the lack of control creates a lot of anxiety for me. Sure. So I don't take control of other people, but I, figure out, okay, in this zone where I have no control, what are the things I actually can control? I can Hmm. control my time. I can control my thoughts. I can control um, what I look at. I can control what I take in. I can take control of some things no matter what the circumstances are. So for me, I recalibrate the things I can control, and it starts to calm me down. For sure. Um, The other the other takeaway for me, I'm aware of mindfulness. That's the thing that comes to my mind. That a lot of anxiety, once you feel it, it takes you somewhere. It it carries you away. Right. And if you can pause that and become mindful, what am I feeling? What am I afraid of? And be mindful even of my breathing. How am I breathing? What's my heart rate? Yeah. Um, et cetera. I think mindfulness might be a really powerful tool. I think that's awesome. And I hope, I mean, this was a, a strong list and you have more that we didn't even, we don't have quite time to get to, but yeah, but you know, we are, we are not experts, but we are in the fight with you and yeah. we just want you to know, man, we're for you and we believe God is for you. And, um, we want to see these two generations specifically, um, find freedom from anxiety for sure. Hey, uh, again, thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you want to get in contact with us, which we would love to death, uh, you can do that at email uh, at info at jimandjohn.com, no H in the John, uh, or at our website, jimandjohn.com. There's a contact form there, uh, which is basically the same as emailing us, but whichever is easier for you, mm-hmm. uh, or on Instagram at jimandjohn. And uh, you can reply in the comments there. You can DM us there. Uh, also there, you'll find a link tree. If you're all on Instagram from there, you can get to our website. You can get to, you can listen to these through there if you are so inclined. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're just, uh, we're just happy you're here. We're grateful to be a part of your life. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.